0: This morning, what's interesting is we get into the book of Romans, we're going to find that the, the Roman believers actually had a faith that was famous. And, uh, and actually, it was actually renowned. It was, Paul, Paul commended them on having a faith that was spoken of throughout the whole world. And, uh, and I find that very interesting as we're still in chapter one, kind of the introduction of the book of Romans. Paul says in verse eight, chapter one, verse eight, and he's, and he's writing to these Roman believers. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's a really cool verse. So, so Paul hadn't even got to Rome yet. He, he desires to get there, to, to build up those believers, to preach the gospel to the lost in Rome. He had a heart for Rome. And, and yet he commends in this epistle, he commends them on their faith. And, and so if you want to follow along in your notes, you can. They're in your bulletin. Number one, the Romans had a faith worth speaking of. It really is interesting to me that Paul, before he ever got to Rome, said, man, I've heard that you guys have an amazing faith. As a matter of fact, your faith is spoken of, and he uses the phrase, throughout the whole world. Now, you know, we'll get to that in just a second, but it's just interesting that the Roman believers already had a faith that was famous. People knew that they they loved the Bible, they loved Christ, they loved the gospel, their, their faith and not only its salvation, but their walk with the Lord was, was something that was commendable. Paul is thanking God for that. And, and listen, can I just say that when our faith gets lived out in such a way that it has that testimony, that is something to be fa- thankful for, right? I mean, it's, th- it's something to be thankful for when, when the world knows where we stand in our relationship with Christ. Their faith was spoken of throughout the whole world. And that's an amazing testimony to, to those believers at Rome. Now, when it says that their faith was spoken throughout the whole world, does that mean the entire geographical world? And, and sometimes the Bible uses that, you know, that phrase, the whole world that way. In 1 John chapter 2, the Bible talks about Jesus being the propitiation for our sin. And, and we've been talking about this on Wednesday night in our 1 John study And the Bible says that he is, Jesus Christ is the propitiation of our sin, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the what? The whole world. And and, and so Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross for our sin is sufficient for the sin of the entire world. Now that is a global context. Every man, woman, and child that's ever been born, that ever will be born, the propitiation, what, what is required for their sin is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And if, if they'll come to Christ as their Lord and Savior, his atonement can be applied to their life. But, but Romans 1, verse 8, I mean, when, when Paul writes and he says, hey, guys, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I mean, did Paul mean the people in Australia know about the Romans' faith or the people in North America or the people in Mexico? I don't, you know, I don't think so. But it does mean, it does mean uh, the whole world as it relates to their context. In other words, the whole world... Uh, in that area of the world. So another reference to this is in Acts chapter 17. Early in the church, the gospel is taken off. Man, Paul is the missionary, the the, the missionary to the Gentiles, and the testimony of the gospel literally is reaching the known world, at least in that area. Acts 17 and verse 6, the Bible says, when they found him not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, these that have turned the the world upside down, or come hither also. And and again, it doesn't mean that the whole world had received the gospel at that point. It was because that's Acts 17. The rest of Acts still had to be fulfilled. But it does mean that that part of the known world uh, had been reached with the gospel. And the testimony of it was such that the whole world knows that Jesus Christ is Lord and that his gospel is being preached. And so here's a question for us. Do we Do we as 21st century Christians have a faith that is spoken of throughout our world? And our world is South Huntsville. Our world is our job, our community, our family, our circle of influence. Listen, man, we all should have more than 15 minutes of fame as it relates to the gospel and and our faith in the gospel and our faith in our walk with God. Listen, how awesome would it be to have somebody like Paul say, man, it's awesome that community fellowship, their faith at community fellowship is known throughout all Huntsville. That'd be a cool statement. And that's literally what he's saying. I mean, Paul is saying, look, it's, it's amazing that these guys have enough faith. Everybody in, in South Huntsville knows the faith of community fellowship Baptist church. What a powerful testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and remember, Paul is hearing this through secondhand testimony. In other words, Paul's just saying, this is what's on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram about your faith. And he's reporting it back to them. Man, what would the world say about our faith? The truth is, many Christians don't have a faith that's spoken of. And if they do have a faith that's spoken of, generally it's not in a positive context, right? Usually it's a negative context. I mean, the number one criticism against Christianity in the 21st century is that they're all a bunch of, man, you've heard that testimony too. Okay, so look, let's don't let's don't add to that testimony. Let's have a faith that can be well spoken of because the truth is you will have a testimony, positive or negative, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, the second thing is that sometimes we don't have a testimony or a faith that's spoken of because we never verbalize that faith. We don't preach the gospel. We don't tell people what God is doing in our life and and if we don't verbalize that, how does word get out that we even are believers in Christ, that we even walk with God, we believe his word is true, we try to live by faith. Listen, we, we need to have the testimony that the Roman believers have. We need to have a faith that's, that's well spoken of, even if people don't agree. God help us to be a church and God help us to be individuals that, that when people consider us in South Huntsville, they would say, man, that church... They have a faith in Jesus Christ. They have a faith in his word. They may not even agree with our stance on things, but at least at the end of the day, Jesus is glorified because they believe that what we believe is true, right? We believe what we believe is true. And so, and so look, these Romans had a faith worth speaking of. Now, the meat of the message is the second point. As powerful as their testimony was in their faith to the known world, secondly, they had a faith that needed to be established, and so they already had a powerful reputation, but they had a faith that still needed to be established. And I want you to pick it up in verse 9. We have the verses on the screen. So Paul continues, and he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. And here's what Paul prayed for making request, if I by many, uh, any means Uh, now at length, might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, here it is, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end that ye may be what? Established. So Paul said, I want to get to Rome. I can't wait to see you. When I get there, I want to impart a spiritual gift to you or some spiritual gifts so that you can be established. He keeps going, verse 12. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto. In other words, man, I wanted to come, but I couldn't come, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Okay. So Paul says that the faith was famous. That's great. That's awesome. Paul also said that they had a faith that needed to be established or further established. Okay. And Paul uses this phrase. He says, I want to impart some spiritual gift to you. Now, now sometimes if you read the Bible and you read that phrase, you think, well, I mean, is Paul going to show up just with like a basket of spiritual gifts and start handing out? I mean, cause you read it and it, it seems like Paul's going to show up and he's going to hand out or delegate spiritual gifts. That's not Paul's job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But Paul, just like you, Christian, had some spiritual gifts. Paul had some spiritual gifts as a believer in Christ, as someone who was born again. And, and so Paul, the, the, what's happening here is Paul is not saying that he, I can't wait to get to Rome so I can give you spiritual gifts. Paul is saying, I want to get to Rome so I can use my spiritual giftedness to establish you. And so here's the key. It's in your notes. Paul desired to use... His spiritual gifts to establish the believers at Rome. Okay, that that's the principle that that he is trying to communicate. And so the next obvious question is: what were Paul's spiritual gifts, right? I mean, if he's going to use his spiritual gifts to help them get established, what were Paul's spiritual gifts? Well, we go to 1 Timothy chapter 2 and we get a little bit of insight. Look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 7. It's on the screen. So Paul says. Whereunto I am ordained, here they are, a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. So from that verse, we understand that Paul had three spiritual gifts from that context. He was a preacher, he was an apostle, and he was a teacher. You guys okay with that verse? All right, so look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. God gives us the second witness of the confirmation of Paul's giftedness. The Bible says, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. Okay, and remember, Paul's giftedness was given to him not by his choice, it was given to him by the Holy Spirit of God. It's the same way that you get your giftedness, it's through the Holy Spirit of God. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given every man to profit withal. In other words, church, we have spiritual gifts, church. You individually have spiritual gifts to to bring profit to the body. And I don't mean profit like money, like financial, although giving is a spiritual gift, uh, one of the spiritual gifts. It doesn't mean that if you don't have the gift of giving, you're not supposed to tithe. Let me just, just disclaimer. (laughs) But your giftedness is given by the Spirit of God, and it is given to profit the body of Christ. Okay. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11 says, All these worketh that one and selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. We already saw that Paul had at least three spiritual gifts. He was a preacher, he was an apostle, he was a teacher. Okay, so, so listen. The Romans needed their faith established. How was that going to be accomplished? God was going to use the giftedness of a teacher and a preacher and an apostle, in other words, a missionary to get there. God was going to use a teacher and a preacher and an apostle to establish them in God's word. How does our faith get established? It happens through somebody using their giftedness of teaching and preaching God's word and coming to us and bringing God's word to us so that we can be established in our faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by what? Okay, so if we're going to have a faith that's established or faith that grows, we have to learn God's word so we can put our faith in that. Okay, so, so listen, don't miss what's happening here. Paul says that when I come, I need to establish you in the mutual faith he already said that your faith, your faith is world world renowned. Everybody knows about your faith, but you need to be established in the faith and God's going to use a preacher and a teacher and an apostle to accomplish that. And Paul ultimately says at the end of that verse that's going to bring fruit. That's going to bring fruit into your life. And so we are not going to have enough time this morning and I know that and it bothers me, but that's okay. Look, we, need to, we as a church need to understand the difference between our faith or your faith and the mutual faith. Because God uses those two words differently in this passage. You know, in verse eight, he says, your faith is spoken out throughout the whole world. But then he says, I want to establish you in the mutual faith, the faith. Well, what's the difference? Well, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to play a A word game, but every word of God is important. And and when God uses different words, it's important. So listen, let me give you the difference between your faith or my faith individually and what we'll call the mutual faith or the faith globally, okay? First, your faith is just that, it's just your faith. In other words, whatever level of faith that you are living at right now. It, it's the level of belief that you have in God's Word personally. Now, now we're going to look at some passages, and, and God's going to prove to us this morning that whatever level of faith we are at, God wants it to increase. God wants our faith to grow. So, so let me frame it like this. When you got saved, you exercised faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Does everybody understand that? That's how you got saved. You didn't get saved by being good enough or... Doing enough religious works. You, you put your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2 8 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. So you exercise faith when you believe the gospel. But haven't you exercised more faith in God's word since then? Of course you have. I hope you have. If you haven't, God wants you to. God wants you to keep exercising faith in his word. So 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes to the Corinthians. And he says in verse 15, I'm not going to read it all for time's sake, but in verse 15, remember this was a very carnal church, it was a very immature church, Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, not boastings of things without measure, that is the, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith, there's that same phrase, when your faith is, is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly." In other words, Paul says, I want your faith, Corinth, to increase. I want you to have more faith. More faith than what? More faith than what you had yesterday. More faith than what you had at the moment of salvation. God wants your faith to be established into the faith. Okay, He says the same thing to to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3. Paul writes and he says, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet or suitable, because your faith groweth exceedingly. So listen, when you, when you put your faith and trust in the gospel, that's what began your faith journey. That's not where it ended. Your faith needs to increase. Your faith needs to grow. And there's two examples of churches where he uses the phrase, your faith needs to increase. It needs to grow. In Luke chapter 17, I mean, listen, even the apostles understood this. I mean, the apostles are just like us, man. They walked with Jesus, but they struggled in their faith. And we do the same thing. And in Luke chapter 17, I mean, listen, there was some trials, some tribulation. Uh, Jesus talked about, man, things are going to get hard. There's going to be people trespass against you. L- listen, if, if, if people trespass against you, forgive them. How many times? Well, seven times in a day, then look, seven times in a day, You know, forget, forgive somebody. Uh, this is just where we live. This is life, right? Just, life is full of trials and testing and tribulation and offenses. And when, when Jesus taught on that in Luke 17, the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our, increase our faith. And in that normally, when our faith increases, when we experience trials and tribulations and testings and difficulty and, and when people offend us and we have to forgive them because the Bible tells us to. Okay, turn your halo down because some of us <laughs> need to hear that. Uh, that's when our faith really gets tested. James talks about the trying of our faith worketh patience, right? First Peter 1 talks about the trial of your faith is more precious than that of gold and perisheth. So God wants our faith to increase. Your faith Wherever it is this morning, God wants it to grow, and and God wants to use a teacher and a preacher to teach you God's Word so you can believe more of it. Do you see that? It's not that 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 giftedness is better or, or more significant than any of the other spiritual gifts, but in order for your faith to be established, because faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, we have to have sound teaching and sound preaching from the Bible. God wants your faith established, and the way he does it is by using the giftedness of teaching and preaching so that you can understand God's word clearly so you can believe more of it. That's what Paul is saying to the Roman believers. Now, that's your faith, but what is this thing that he's talking about called the faith or the mutual faith? What, What is that? Well, the mutual faith or the faith is the body of doctrine amongst all believers in other words it's just sound doctrine it's just sound teaching it, it is where your faith needs to increase and grow the faith is is, is established it's settled it's set the, the body of doctrine that we believe from the word of god is already established we just have to grow to learn it and believe more of it do you see how those two work together And so listen, God uses that phrase over and over again, the faith, and that's spelled differently than your faith. I didn't even have to go to Bible college to figure that out. (laughs) Titus chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul writes to Titus and he says, my own son after the common faith, the common faith, the body of faith, the body of doctrine that we all agree on, Jude in verse 3 says that we are to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. In other words, we don't don't lay aside doctrine for convenience sake. We we contend, we fight for the faith. In other words, if somebody walked in here and preached another gospel, hey, you don't get saved by putting your faith and trust in Christ. You get saved by being baptized. No, we're going to contend for the faith because the Bible doesn't teach that. That faith, the faith is established, it's very clear, you don't get saved by baptism. Do you see how those work together? Look at Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, we'll we'll pick it up real quick because we're going to run out of time. The Bible says the word of God increased. The what increased? The word of God increased, okay, and the number of the disciples multiplied. And I'm going to tell you, church, there is a key connection between God's word increasing and the number of disciples being multiplied. If the word of God doesn't increase, we will never multiply disciples. And if the word of God doesn't increase in your life, church, you will never become a disciple of Jesus Christ. You'll be saved, you'll go to heaven when you die, all those different things, that's fine. But you will never become a true disciple of Christ if the word of God does not increase in your life, and that's why you need to be discipled. That's why you need to be discipled. And I don't know what you're waiting on. on. Look at what it says. So so the the number of the disciples increased, multiplied in in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the what? To the faith. They were obedient to the faith. Faith, the body of doctrine, the belief system that the apostles were preaching. Acts 14 and verse 22, the Bible says, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Acts 16, verses 4 to 5, and they went throughout all the cities and they delivered unto them decrees for them to keep and they were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches, the churches were established in the faith, listen, and increased in number daily. And that's kind of interesting. It makes me wonder if the number of churches didn't increase daily because that's kind of the way it reads. When the word of God increases and the church gets established in the faith, churches can reproduce. And, and if we if we don't, we can't. We can't. And, and, and so listen, man, we, we need more time. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 15. God confirms what Paul is saying to the Romans in our life. Listen, we need pastors and teachers. And I I know you don't believe me, but I know you believe the Bible. And, And so the Bible says in verse 11 that God gave some pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. God gave us pastors and teachers for this purpose, so that you can be established in the faith of Jesus Christ. And so the key question on the table is, look, is your faith being established in the faith? Is your faith being established in the faith? And and God uses, again, man, let me ask it like this. Do you allow the giftedness of teaching and preaching? That's easy for me to 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 make this point because I'm a teacher and a preacher, but we have more teachers and preachers in this church than just me. So do you allow God's giftedness of teaching and preaching to establish you in the mutual faith or do you just tolerate it and then go about your business without really appreciating what God's trying to give to you? So, so look church, God has called us to be established as a church. And we need to be established in the faith. And that means that we need to be sound in doctrine. And that means that we have to have teachers and preachers that teach and preach right doctrine. And I think we have that. But we also need a church that that desires to be established. In other words, you you get notes, you get slides for a reason. You sit in Sunday school, you get notes for a reason. You have a teacher that teaches for a reason. Are those things... And, I, and I'm going to get real probably personal and, you know, I don't mean to be offensive at all, but I just want to ask in the, in the seven and a half years that I've been here, how much more established you are in the faith you are now than you were seven and a half years ago. Now, Some of you have been here that long. Some of us have been here a year, two years, three years. How, how more established are you in the faith? I didn't ask how often you came to church or how often you come to Sunday school, or or how you serve and and, and clean or or watch kids. Listen, thankful for all those things. The question on the table is, are you being established in the faith or not? And if not, well, why? Paul, Paul said, I want to have fruit in your life I mean, the teaching and the preaching of God's word is so that you can grow and mature and listen, so that there is fruit in your life for the Lord Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And, And by the way, for Paul's sake, because he says, I am laboring in this field so that you can be established, so there can be fruit here. We have to ask the question, is our faith really being established? If we don't have more faith than what we had seven and a half years ago, well, something's wrong. If we don't have more faith than what we had the moment we got saved, something is wrong. We're being established in something. It just may not be the faith. Um, and, so, and so we have to consider those things. Okay, so, so let's finish because we're out of time. Look, the last thing is this. Look, they had a famous faith. They had a faith that needed to be established. And then thirdly, the Romans had a faith that needed to be spread. It needed to be spread. And so Paul says in verses 14 to 17, Paul says, I am debtor. Anybody in debt this morning? Don't, don't raise your hand. I was car shopping, I was truck shopping, excuse me, not car shopping, I was truck shopping yesterday, told a a few of the guys, texted a few guys, Jack stopped by, so I'm trying to find a truck, you know, and, uh, and I text Hedden, and I was like, man, Dave Ramsey would not be, would not be too excited about this, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm going to tell you how good God is, man, I was looking real heavy at a truck, and I was like, all right, man, well, maybe I'll talk to you Monday or whatever, and my, you know, my wife and my kids came and looked at it or whatever, and, uh. And I'm, I'm really praying, Lord, man, if, if this is it, then you just make it clear to me, and I mean, I'm not Jewish, but sometimes I need a sign, okay? So, whatever. And so I'm praying, you know, and I really like the truck, because I can get all my family in there, and we can go somewhere, and you know, whatever. And so, uh, so I get home, and literally like an hour later, I get a text from the sales guy, hey man, that white truck just sold. And I was like, Hallelujah. I mean, I wasn't upset. I wasn't, I wasn't mad. I was like, hallelujah, man. I'm not supposed to get that truck. You know what I'm saying? Because I was about to go in a lot of debt. <laughs> Paul says, I'm a debtor. I know you super spiritual th- people don't think the pastor has debt, but that's okay. Look, Paul says, I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. What was he a, what was he a debtor to them for? Well, he was a debtor to them to preach the gospel to them. He says that in verse 15. So as much as it is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to them that are at Rome also. And then he says in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We're out of time. Let me just make a couple of points real quick. Paul, Paul said that the saints at Rome, just like him, should be established so that they can evangelize. You know, God, God wants you to be established for a reason, not so you know a bunch of Bible knowledge. It, it's so that, that you know the, the the mutual faith, and then you can take it and reproduce it in other places. And, and so Paul said, I, I I have a debt that I need to pay. I, I'm a debtor to these people, the, the Greeks, the barbarians, the wise, and the unwise. And and listen, we we've all we've all been in debt. We probably all have some debt, and you know, if you don't, praise the Lord, man. I want to be more like you. I, I'm serious. Uh Here's what I know about debt. Once you recognize your debt, you make a preparation to pay your debt. It's called a budget. And then you pay it. Otherwise, you are always in debt. And, and so to get out of debt, you recognize what the, what the debt is. You recognize what the debt is. I am indebted to this thing, a car payment, a home equity line, a boat payment, whatever it is. I'm indebted to this thing, but then I prepare to pay that debt and then I pay that debt to get out of debt. Well, Paul says, I'm a debtor to preach the gospel. In other words, I need to know that I am in debt to be a minister of the gospel to every person that God brings me across. I need to prepare to pay that debt. In other words, I need to be established in my faith and I need to be able to communicate the gospel, and then I need to go preach the gospel. That, that's what we're called to do. Paul said, I'm ready. I'm a debtor. I'm ready. I'm ready. That means living in a continual state of readiness. Listen, if somebody walked in today and said, I need to get saved, can you show me how? Could you do that? Could you take your Bible and do that? Could you open your Bible and say, let me show you how to get saved. Let me show you why you need to get saved. Let me show you what the Bible says about being saved. Let me show you how you can get saved. And let me show you what you need to do after you get saved. Can you do that from the Word of God? Paul said he was ready to do that. And over and over through his ministry, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. And he's writing to Timothy, his young son in the faith, but he just says, hey, be instant. You never know when there's an opportunity to minister in Jesus' name. you got to be ready. you got to be ready. I mean, you can certainly set up an appointment with me, but it's just a lot better if you just go ahead and do it. Right. Seriously. If, if you just go ahead and win people to Christ, it'd be a lot easier. It, it, we can invite them to church. I'm thankful for that. We preach the gospel here. But why don't you just go ahead and win them at the workplace? Win them in your community. Win them at home. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you for a reason of hope that's in you with meekness and fear. We just got to be ready, church. We, we need a faith that is spreading. So Paul had a debt. And then the second thing, he makes a pretty strong declaration. And, and this is where we'll get pretty personal. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed. It, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul said, I am in debt and I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ and I'm going to preach it to every person whom God puts across my path and opens the door and gives me the opportunity. I am not ashamed. Listen, are you Are you ashamed of the gospel? Well, let me ask it a different way. When's the last time you told someone? When's the last time you told someone? I didn't ask you when the last time you came to church was. You're here, and I'm thankful for that. But listen, uh, you know, some... We don't have time. I'm going to make time. Paul said, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, when you study that phrase, not ashamed, it takes you all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 in the garden with Adam and Eve. And in Genesis chapter 2, that's the chapter where God says, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, the Bible uh, made Adam, and then he made a help meet for him, a a, a woman from his bone and of his flesh, And, and this woman became his bride, his wife, and the Bible says in verse 25 that they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. In other words, this first Adam had a wife and they were in perfect unity and they were in perfect harmony and they were in the will of God for their lives. They had not sinned yet. And and listen, they had been given a commission. They had fellowship with God. They had perfect fellowship with each other. They had perfect fellowship with the father. And the Bible says they were not ashamed. But of course, Genesis chapter three, They fall into sin. And I'm not a betting man, but if I was, I would say that many times our shame, as it relates to the gospel, comes from our sin and from not having right fellowship with with our Adam, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. And and that, that, that picture in that garden of Adam and Eve is a picture of Christ and his church, and listen, that, that woman was deceived in Genesis chapter 3. She was deceived. She fell into sin. She, she, she certainly uh, was deceived by the devil. And listen, when they both sinned, they were both in shame. Their relationship with God the Father was, was destroyed, and they were hiding among the trees of the garden instead of being a witness of who their Lord and Savior was. And I think in the 21st century, man, we, we would say we're not ashamed of the gospel, but we just don't really preach it. And many times it's because of our own sin that creates shame because we're hiding amongst the trees of the garden and becoming completely ineffective for the gospel's sake. Listen, and maybe that's you this morning, and and be humble enough to admit it if it is. Can I give you some encouragement? You know, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve fell into sin and they were hiding from God, I do want you to know that God sought them out. God sought them out. God sought them out because he wanted to restore them. He wanted to forgive them. He wanted to reconcile with them. He, He wanted to be right with them. He pursued them in order to restore them. And listen, this morning, if you have a faith that's not growing and not being established and God's not using you to spread the gospel and to the people that you have in your circle of influence, well, I just want to ask you, is it because of your broken relationship with him? And if it is, friend, listen, can you, can you come to the place that you just humbly repent and ask God to restore you? Because, listen, God, God is willing to use you to bear fruit amongst the nations, and that begins at, with, with bearing fruit amongst the community. In our, in our community, through this church, through your faith, Having an impact outside of these four walls. Man. we got to have a famous faith, man. Not for our sake, but for the Lord's sake. we got to have a faith that's founded, that's established. And listen, if if that's you this morning, and for whatever reason you haven't committed to be discipled, you haven't committed to show up regularly, you haven't committed to actually show up with a Bible to learn God's Word in this place, can I ask you to, to humbly repent and ask God to establish you in his faith. I wonder if people would walk by our church and see the number of Bibles being carried in and think we're a place that actually teaches God's word or not. Do we bring our Bible to church, man? Do we show attention to God's word? Do we, do we desire it so that we can grow in faith and our relationship with him? You know, I, I'm going to close right now, but listen. I wonder at the judgment seat of Christ when those believers at Rome stand to give an account for everything that was given to them at Rome, I wonder if they're going to stand and give an account for the fact that they had that epistle of the book of Romans hand delivered to them. And God is going to hold them accountable to, this is what I gave you so that you could be perfected. And by the way, Paul showed up in Rome later. And I wonder at the judgment seat of Christ, if the believers at Rome are going to stand and give an account because they had to, outside the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest teacher and preacher and apostle that ever lived. And I wonder if they're going to stand and give an account because of what they heard taught and what they learned through the apostle Paul, not only through his epistle, but also through his person. And church, listen, I am no apostle Paul and you don't have to amen that point. But I do wonder at the judgment seat of Christ what this church is going to stand and give an account for. Of the teaching and the preaching of God's word and what God has put in our hand and the people whom God has used to bring us his word. We will stand, friend, and give an account because we are accountable. We are accountable. God help us to be found established in God's word.